0: We come into this space more than a space. We come into a time out of time for reflection and community and consolation. Bring your authentic self. Bring your cares and your joys and your hopes. And welcome to First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque. I'm Reverend Bob Valley, and I'm so glad to be here with you and here with our senior minister, Reverend Angela Herrera, and our worship leader, Raven Reed Starr. The DJ today is is Cy Schuster, and our tech team is Chris Paul, Raymond Wolfgang, and Erica and Alex johnson Jimenez. And our music today is provided by our house band, Disparate Parts. Thank you to everyone for co-creating this service. If you're visiting for the first or second time, and if you're comfortable with it, You're invited to put your name and location in the chat so we can say hello. And Raven has a few announcements for us.
1: Good morning
2: and happy August 1st. We have three announcements this morning. First, if you tuned in last week or read the newsletter, you know that First Unitarian has set a date to resume services in the sanctuary. Beginning September 12th, we plan to hold one service on Zoom at 9 a.m. and one in-person at 11 a.m. What about the Delta variant, you may be wondering? Yes, indeed. Our reopening policy acknowledges that the pandemic is still underway. We are watching closely and will follow the state of New Mexico's direction for large groups. For more of the reopening policy, see the link in the chat box. Our second announcement this morning. Do you have a spiritual or ethics question for our ministers? Well, here's your chance. On Sunday, August 29th, Angela and Bob will deliver a question box sermon. That means instead of preaching a sermon, they'll draw your questions out of a hat and take turns responding. You can turn in your questions by putting them in the chat box. Just type Dear Ministers." in front of it so no one tries to answer it for you in the chat. Or you can email your questions to specials at UUABQ.org. Finally, we are so excited to learn that after being canceled in June, ABQ Pride will be happening August 20th and 21st. This year, First U will be a sponsor of Pride and will be both marching in the parade and hosting a booth in the Pride Exhibit Hall. If you're interested in helping out with the booth or riding or walking in the parade, contact Marilyn O'Boyle, her email is in the chat. Now let's light our chalices together. Our chalice lighting this morning is Blessed is the Fire that Burns Deep in the Soul by Eric A. Heller Wagner. Blessed is the fire that burns deep in the soul, It is the flame of the human spirit touched into being by the mystery of life. It is the fire of reason, the fire of compassion, the fire of community, the fire of justice, the fire of faith. It is the fire of love burning deep in the human heart, the divine glow in every life.
3: We are Unitarian Universal. We are people of faith, with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands.
4: Well, the puppets have been at my house ever since I got back from sabbatical, and except for one unfortunate incident, we've been having a pretty great time. And they all want to come out and say hello this morning. So are there any kids out there who want to help me call all of our puppet friends? You ready? Okay. Rebecca, Rebecca, Carl, Carl, Sheldon, Sheldon, Lucia, Lucia, Olivia, 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 Ralph Waldo Raven, Ralph Waldo Raven. Hi, guys! Hello! Hello, Carl. Rebecca and Sheldon, where's the rest of the gang? They're hiding? Why are they hiding? They're afraid I'll be mad at them. Well, I've really only gotten mad one time in the last month, remember? Nobody's been dying the dog's fur purple again, have you? Good, okay. So why do they think that I'll be mad at them? Is this for me? Oh, to the Reverend Angela, her era. Is is that dental floss? Let's see what's on this very official looking scroll. Wow. The undersigned being true Unitarian Universalist puppets demand that we be allowed to return immediately to our puppet stage in the sanctuary. Signed. Wow, it has everybody's signatures on it. Rebecca, Carl, Olivia, Sheldon, Ralph, Lucia. Okay. Well, I can't blame you for being upset and wanting to go back to your puppet theater. Yeah. But you know, guys, this is all just really complicated. We, we have to be sure that it's reasonably safe to go back together into the sanctuary. You don't want any of your human friends to get sick, do you? Especially the children, because they're too young to get vaccinated still. And besides that, when we do return, we're gonna be doing two kinds of services for the first time. One here on Zoom, just like we've been doing, and one in the sanctuary in person. There is good news though. We have a date that we plan to return. And it's September 12th, September 12th. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited too. And I'm nervous. I don't know how it's gonna go or who will come or what unexpected things will happen. You know, I thought it was hard when we had to start Zooming Church last year, but it turns out that this is even harder. And you know what else? Some people are mad about it, no matter what we do. Yeah. Oh, I I know. I know you didn't mean to make things harder, Rebecca. You know, we're all kind of on edge about this, aren't we? So, it's alright. You can go tell Olivia and Lucia and Ralph Waldo Raven that I'm not mad at them. It's okay. Okay? Yeah. Yes, Sheldon? Yes, everybody will be wearing a mask in the sanctuary and we'll be keeping our distance, and we'll do our singing outside, and we'll take other steps to keep each other safe, okay? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I know that this is still taking some chances, but you know, a lot of people and puppets want to go back to the sanctuary. They want to see their friends, they want to be at their church, they want to feel a little bit more normal. Not everybody liked online worship. And so we're just balancing safety and these needs, which are also important. Oh my goodness, what Carl, what? If you can't go back to the puppet theater because of worrying about the kids, why don't the kids stay home? Carl, I am really disappointed to hear you say that. The children are your friends. Don't you already miss them a ton? Don't you? Yeah. I know you do. I know you miss them. You know, Carl, we are in the business of welcoming people, including them, not telling them to keep out. Thank you for making that point, Rebecca. That's also important. Rebecca's concerned that people who stay with Zoom worship might feel left out when another group returns to the sanctuary. You know, last year we did everything we could to make these services lively and helpful to people, and we're going to keep on doing that. We know that a lot of people are going to continue to worship with us right here on Zoom for health reasons and for other reasons, okay? What other reasons? What? (laughs) Yeah, right, Carl. For instance, if they like their pajamas too much to come to church, yeah, or, you know, They want to play darts while they listen to the service, or they need to stay home to take care of somebody, or it's hard for them to travel, or they want to come to church even though they're somewhere else on vacation. And you know what else? In the past 18 months, we've had a number of people who watch the services from faraway places, and some of them have even joined the church. And if that's you, we're so glad you're here. You think we're not being cautious enough? You could be right, Sheldon. We're doing the best we can. You think we're being too cautious? Well, you could be right, Carl. We're doing the best we can. And you think we're just right? Oh, I'm happy to hear that, Rebecca. <laughs> hey, now, wait a second. Didn't you sign this angry, I mean, this... um very serious petition? When I explained things, I did it so well that you changed your mind? Ah, that's the best compliment I've gotten in a long time, Rebecca. Thank you. (laughs) You you want me to make September 12th come faster? I don't think so, Carl. (laughs) And now it is time to say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, friends. Goodbye. Goodbye. Carl
3: wants me to make September 12th come faster? He's the minor deity. Shouldn't he be the one that does that? Ah, how about a little time for meditation and prayer? Let's pause
4: the chat for a few moments for that. It is our practice in this congregation from time to time to do the metta or loving kindness meditation from the Buddhist tradition. I invite you to join me in that today. So let's begin with a breath and let your body be at ease. Find a comfortable position if you can, whether that's feet on the floor or Giving your weight completely over to whatever seat is holding you right
3: now. Maybe there's some tension you can let go of with your next exhalation. And feel your energy just settle into your body and into this moment. In this meditation, I'll lead you in some affirmations. Hold them in your mind as I say them. Notice if the
4: words evoke any physical response or if you feel any resistance within you, in your mind or in your body when you hear them. And if you do, simply notice and see whether your
3: feelings can coexist with loving kindness. The first affirmation is for yourself. May I live in safety. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I live with ease. May I live in safety, be happy, Be healthy and live with ease. Now call to mind somebody that you care about. Maybe a friend or someone who inspires you. Visualize them, picture them in your mind's eye and direct loving kindness to them. May you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be healthy.
1: May you live with ease.
3: Next, call to mind someone you know who's having a difficult time right now.
4: Maybe they've experienced some kind of loss or painful,
3: fe- <clears throat> painful feeling or some kind of difficult situation. Hold them in your mind's eye and direct loving kindness to them. May you live in safety May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. Now in your mind's eye, visualize someone who plays just a minor role in your life. Someone you don't have a particular feeling for or against. Maybe someone you see periodically, but don't know personally. Imagine them sitting in front of you and offer the same loving kindness to them. May you live in safety. May you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live with ease. And now, picture someone toward whom you have negative feelings right now. Maybe they've offended you. It might be someone you know personally or some kind of public figure. And call them into your mind. And knowing that people who are safe and happy and healthy and live with
4: ease do not knowingly do harm to others
3: direct loving kindness to them. May you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be healthy.
1: May you live with ease.
3: May all beings live in safety, be happy, be healthy, and live with ease. All people, all creatures, all those in existence near
4: and far, known to us and unknown.
3: All beings on the earth, in the air, in the water, those being born, and those dying. May all beings everywhere live in safety, be happy, be healthy, and live with ease. You feel the energy of this aspiration extending infinitely in front of you to either side, behind you, above and below. As the heart extends in a boundless way, leaving no one out, may all beings live in safety, be happy, be healthy, and live with ease. We continue with two minutes of silence.
2: Each day, we add a page to the story of our lives. At times, those pages tell of joy and gladness, and other times of sorrow and concern. Our stories are woven together when we support others in their moments of joy or sadness, and others support us in ours. These interwoven moments become part of the story of our community here together. Please share your joys and concerns in the chat bar now, as prompted by the video. If you cannot share in the chat bar today for any reason, we still want to hear from you contact us at caring at uuabq.org.
5: Pray with me, pray with me, oh my soul.
1: All these loved ones,
4: all these joys and concerns we lift up. And from the pastoral prayer list, we also lift up Greg Gardner, who is relocating to the Pacific Northwest. May he have many happy adventures. May he be at home in his new community of friends and neighbors. We remember Joyce Kayser and her family this morning. Joyce passed away last Sunday. We give thanks for her. For all the lives she touched with her life,
3: including my own.
4: Joyce was on the search committee that brought me to Albuquerque back in 2010, and it was a blessing to know her. May she rest in peace. May her loved ones be comforted. All these we lift up to the great powers of healing, renewal, and celebration known by many names, and we remember the unspoken prayers to all that is too private or too nuanced to share. Blessings to all with a prayer in their hearts this morning. May you find what courage or comfort or companionship you need. We pray for our congregation, for resilience and unity in this time of transition. And we pray our most ambitious prayers, the ones that take true collective action and therefore some of the deepest faith, that this pandemic end, that racism be transformed into love, that the planet be cared for with a love to reflect its profound beauty and our interdependence with it. All these, all of these, we lift up as our common prayer, and we pray that we may help to
3: make it so through our manner of being in this world. Amen. And peace
6: be with you. It's nature's way of telling you something's wrong. It's nature's way of telling you in a song. receiving you. It's nature's way of retrieving you. It's nature's way of telling you something's wrong. It's nature's way of telling you something. Way of telling you, dying trees. It's nature's way of receiving you. It's nature's way of retrieving you. It's nature's way.
2: reading is from the Preface to Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Hold out your hand and let me lay upon them a sheaf of freshly picked sweetgrass, loose and flowing like newly washed hair, golden green and glossy above. The stems are banded with purple and white where they meet the ground. Hold the bundle up to your nose. Find the fragrance of honeyed vanilla over the scent of river water and black earth, and you understand its scientific name, Higher Chloe Adorata, meaning the fragrant holy grass. Breathe it in and you start to remember things you didn't know you'd forgotten. A sheath of sweet grass, bound at the end and divided into thirds is ready to braid. In braiding sweetgrass, so that it is smooth, glossy, and worthy of the gift. A certain amount of tension is needed. As any little girl with tight braids will tell you, you have to pull a bit. Of course you can do it by yourself, by tying one end to a chair, holding it in your teeth, and braiding backward away from yourself. But the sweetest way is to have someone else hold the end so that you pull gently against each other, all the while leaning in head to head, chatting and laughing, watching each other's hands, one holding steadily while the other shifts the slim bundles over on another, each in its turn. Linked by sweet grass, there is a reciprocity between you. The holder is as vital as the braider. The braid becomes finer and thinner as you near the end until you're braiding individual blades of grass and then you tie it off. Will you hold the bundle while I braid? Hands joined by grass, can we bend our heads together and make a braid to honor the earth? And then I'll hold it for you while you braid too.
0: The book, Braiding Sweetgrass is about a lot of things. But one thing is, it's about the contrast between ways of thinking it's written by Robin Wall Kimmerer, as Raven just shared, who is both a professor of botany and a member of the Potawatomi tribe. In her unique position, she sits astride astri- two towering traditions. And in sweetgrass, she seeks to make a bridge between the two, contrasting their approaches for sure, but also showing how science and spirituality can be informed by each other in beautiful ways. Kimmerer points out that science is, in part, about naming every individual thing, which ends up making everything into an individual piece. And there's a danger that we'll see things as not connected to everything else. And we know all too well that Western science is amoral. Not immoral, amoral. Science does amazing things like cure diseases and give folks who might be disabled the tools to live fully into their humanity. And science gave us PFAS, the forever chemicals that are used for fighting fires and fracking. PFAS permanently poisons whatever it touches. Science gives and science takes. Robin Kimmerer's Potawatomi Spirituality focuses on the interdependence, the reciprocity of everything in nature. That spirituality considers nature a vibrant partner, a source of sustenance, but not just for the body, but also for the mind and the emotions and the spirit. And above all, nature is a teacher. Now, before I go any further, I want to share a caveat about talking about native spirituality. Native spirituality is not a monolith, no more than Christianity is. And I wanna avoid making any sweeping generalizations. Indigenous cultures have a wide variety of expressions and ideas, and to lump them all into one way of thinking is to flatten them out of their nuance. Complexity and individuality are fundamental to being human. My Zoom screen just bumped, am I still here? Shake your head, all right, <laughs> never a dull moment. All right, I'm talking about things we should be careful about when we're talking about native spirituality. So we don't wanna lump them into one way of thinking and that, cause that would flatten out their nuance. You know, we know complexity and humanity are fundamental to being human. And for a group that has been dehumanized, as much of Native folks have been, that is a crime I do not want to repeat. I'm also aware that I'm a European-American, a settler and colonizer here, and I'm sitting here on occupied Tewa land. That means that there's a terrible possibility of me being a hypocrite if I celebrate Native spirituality at the same time that I'm complicit in the oppression of Native folks. My hope is that this sermon is an appreciation for the the ways that Kimmerer's expressions of spirituality complement UU theology. My hope is that what I do here is appreciation, not appropriation. And I invite folks here, especially native folks who are present, to let me know how I did. All right, with that in mind, let's go on. So the book is full of beautiful ideas. It really, to me, it reads like a sacred text, full of wisdom conveyed in the form of stories that are explained and bring greater awareness, greater beauty. And one beautiful expression of the place where science and native spirituality complicate each other is the idea of honorable harvest. which talks about this at length in the book. Honorable harvest. So one story Kimmerer tells is about a time in spring when she went to the forest near her house in upstate New York to gather wild leeks. It's April in her story, still early in the leek season as she begins to search for these leeks. She finds a clump in the woods and based on her ideas of honorable harvest, she first introduces herself to them and then requests permission to harvest them. She's hoping for a bounty. But when she digs them up and shakes away the dirt, she finds that the leeks are not ready to harvest. The bulbs are tiny, ragged, papery sheaves. And there's a reason, a scientific reason for that. Leeks save up their energy in their bulbs over the winter and then use that energy in the spring to sprout the first green shoots. That's why the bulbs at that moment were too small to harvest. They'd been depleted. And this to her is a sign that the plants have not given her permission to harvest them. So she replants them and walks out of the woods. She returns to the woods three weeks later, and at that point, the leaves of the leeks are now now the producers of energy, and the bulbs are the recipients of the energy. The leaves are big enough now to produce energy through their chlorophyll, through receiving the sunlight and converting it into plant food. So by the time she's returned, the bulbs are now fat and shiny and promise a really delicious meal, because who doesn't love leeks? So she repeats her ritual of introduction and asking permission. And this time her efforts are rewarded. This is an honorable harvest. So honorable harvest is not a set of laws, but an, agre- an agreement between consumers and providers. It's the leak saying, if you follow these rules, we'll continue to give our lives so that you may live. And we humans can do that through gratitude and stewardship and everyday acts of practical reverence. She summarizes, in the book, she summarizes the rules of the the agreement as she understands them. And I'd like to share them with you. Here they are. Know the ways of the ones who take care of you so that you may take care of them. Introduce yourself. Be accountable as the one who comes asking for life. Ask for permission before taking. Abide by the answer. Never take the first. Never take the last. Take only what you need. Take only that which is given. Never take more than half, leave some for others. Harvest in a way that minimizes harm. Use it respectively, respectfully, never waste what you have taken. Share. Give thanks for what you have been given. Give a gift in reciprocity for what you have taken. Sustain the ones who sustain you and the earth will last forever. What a beautiful code. I love the spirit of reciprocity, of interconnection, that we should never take without giving. It's a practical application of gratitude, living into appreciation for what we are relying on. So I read this book knowing, like everyone here, that we are in a climate catastrophe caused by centuries where the harvest has been the opposite of honorable. Humans have taken and taken and devastated the air and the water and the land. They've clear-cut forests and removed mountaintops. Humans have pulled fossil fuels from the ground that took millions of years to produce and pushed the exhaust into the atmosphere in the space of a couple hundred years. I know that you know all this, but I think it's important to talk about where we are right now in really clear terms. We must now accept the worst case scenario that we hoped wouldn't happen. The cumulative effects of climate change are now irreversible. The scientists are telling us that what we're seeing this summer, the wildfires and droughts and floods, that what we're seeing is worse than their most extreme projections. And it will continue to spiral. Humanity can't stop it now. And humanity has a very short amount of time to soften the impacts. And here is the bad part, as if the rest wasn't already terrible. The systems of governance that we have in place now are too broken too corrupt to make the changes that might save humanity from great suffering. The evidence of the inability of us as a society to make changes in the face of catastrophe, it's overwhelming. As we endure a pandemic that's killed 700,000 people here in the US and made many more sick, 40% of the country haven't taken the vaccine that could protect themselves as well as the vulnerable people around them. I understand that we are awash in misinformation and the credibility of our leaders is seriously hurt by the last four years. This makes folks skeptical. The misinformation is part of the problem, but another part of the problem is that folks are not feeling the true reciprocity that exists all the time and particularly during a pandemic. We're governed by a non-democratic system that assigns votes on the basis of geography rather than population. Half the Senate wants to deny that a failed insurrection happened on January 6th. This is not a government that can act wisely or quickly. It's time to accept that things are gonna get worse and worse for us and even worse for our children and even worse for their children. By worse, I mean disruptions in the food supply, overwhelming tides of climate refugees who are already coming, desertfica- de- desertification of, the, of large areas of this country and the world, coastal areas becoming uninhabitable and increased tribalism in the face of resource scarcity. There are already climate wars happening on the earth. We just don't call them that yet. It's gonna be bad And except for billionaires, none of us can accept the consequences. Okay, that's the sermon, thanks for coming. Go in peace, have a great Sunday. (laughs) Okay, I'm not gonna stop there. And the joke is part of the point. We know these things and yet we're still gonna laugh. We're still gonna plan lunch and plan our lives and get on with the things that are in our immediate future we have to, and we want to. So what should we do? How should we live in this crisis moment? If you think I have the answer to this, you have an unrealistic view of UU ministers. (laughs) I do have some ideas and more questions, but I don't have a definitive answer. That's for each of us to work out. I mean, the really hard truth is that we are trapped in systems that are far beyond our control. There's only so much we can do, and we need to balance our responses with what is actually effective. Being paralyzed by grief doesn't help anyone. I think we can learn from someone like Laura Paskus, who's the journalist who I preached about in March. Remember her? She wrote that book, At the Precipice, about climate change in New Mexico. Recently, she's been talking about the challenge of being a journalist or a researcher who's always living with the reality of climate change. Laura travels all over New Mexico and sees firsthand the impacts of climate change. She sees firsthand the impacts of fracking in the Permian Basin in the Southeast Mexico, New Mexico. And as part of her work, she is witness to just so much that's awful. And recently she asked her colleagues on Twitter how they are managing while they keep on doing this work? What is the emotional balance that they find that helps them to keep doing this essential work? It wasn't surprising that she didn't get a lot of responses. I think for a lot of folks, they're not finding that balance. But for the few who did respond, it was really enlightening. One journalist described it like having a loved one in hospice. She talked about loving what she could, while she could, and concurrently holding grief and joy. As a former hospice chaplain, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate this. The time in hospice is sacred time, period of in-betweens in which every emotion should be given full reign. Another researcher said that they try to remain angry because anger is more motivating than grief. And I I like how they are considering the impacts of their feelings, how we can choose maybe which feelings to focus on in order to guide our lives. Now, these are just a couple of deeply individual responses that we can have to the moment and everyone's gonna have their own experience and that's appropriate and okay. But these feelings remind me of a new word that I learned about recently in the Boston Globe newspaper. The word is solastalgia, solastalgia, which refers to the pain and distress caused by the loss of a comforting place. The pain and distress caused by the loss of a comforting place. This is according to the Handbook of Climate Psychology. It's like a reverse form of nostalgia. It's like we're home. Mm but we feel homesick anyway for how our home used to be. It's a lot to navigate. So let's explore a few possible practical responses to this situation. And again, I I don't have the answers, but I wanna provide some food for thought. One thing I suggest is exploring dystopian fiction. Dystopian fiction stories There are just tons of great books that speculate on futures that are informed by what's happening now, and they take a dark view of what's going to come in the future. You know, Angela recently talked about the books of Octavia Butler. She is just amazing. Butler is uncanny in how she predicted when she was writing in the 80s, things that are happening now. In one of her books, she talks about the rise of a violent populist fascist movement that had the slogan... Make America Great Again. Holy cow. How did she do that? And there's another powerful book that about what might happen in the Southwest if we continue down this path of drought and irresponsible water management. It's called The Water Knife by Paolo Bacigalupi. The Water Knife. It's a page turner and it's also full of insights. And I'll warn you, it's also violent, but not gratuitously, but because violence is a part of what Bachikalupi expects in the future. These kinds of books can help us see the patterns that are beginning to form in the present and how they might play out. And they can be disturbing or depressing, but I think it's good to start acknowledging the possible realities before they come to be. Perhaps that will help us be more emotionally prepared for the future. And that relates to another practice that I think is going to be very important. I want us to talk about the ugly future, to be real about it. I want us to wonder and to plan and to ponder about it. If something is too big to talk about, it's too big to react to. And that seems like a trap. That's part of why I made a joke about it, about it earlier. The things that we can joke about, we can talk about. Humor is a survival tool. Well, here's another idea for our terrible future. We'll need community. But here's something cool. We have community right here. Churches will be more important than ever because we know from prior disasters that it's community that saves us. This this vibrant congregation already cares for each other and the larger larger community in so many ways. And are there ways to build on that care that prepares us for what's coming? What are we already doing that will help us? And what might be created to meet the future needs for clean air, for water, for food, for refuge from hot temperatures? Looking forward to hearing your ideas. And for myself, I keep going back to this idea of honorable harvest. It seems intuitively right to me. While I'm fighting the political battles and grieving the loss of the earth as I know it, I can also live by this idea of honorable harvest. It keeps me connected to this earth as I experience it every day. Growing up and living in capitalism, I've been marinating in toxic ideas about consumption. That has spoiled my relationship with the things that sustain me. And the people who sustain me. I'd internalized the message that my purchasing power put me in control of these relationships. What I know now is I was never in control. And I'm better off for seeing that truth. The naturalist Aldo Leopold has this to say about it. We abuse land because we regard it as a commodity of belonging to us, a commodity belonging to us. When we see land as a community to which we belong, we may begin to use it with love and respect. As I end, I want to repeat the guidance of Honorable Harvest. And as we listen, I invite you to not think about it as a set of rules, I invite everyone to feel it as a prayer. Join me in prayer. Know the ways of the the ones who take care of you, so that you may take care of them. Introduce yourself. Be accountable as the one who comes asking for life. Ask for permission before taking. Abide by the answer never take the first never take the last take only what you need take only what is given never take more than half leave some for others harvest in a way that minimizes harm share give thanks for what you have been given give a gift and reciprocity for what you have taken sustain the ones who sustain you and the earth will last Forever. May it be so.
1: The Brain
2: Injury Alliance of New Mexico is our Change for the Future recipient for the months of June, July, and August. The Brain Injury Alliance of New Mexico provides information, referral, support, and advocacy for people in New Mexico with brain injuries. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we will put in the chat box. And if you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church and include change for the future on the memo line. Now, let us exercise together the enduring power of generosity.
3: What is generously given is received with
4: gratitude. Thank you on behalf of the congregation and on behalf of the Brain Injury Alliance. We are nearing the end of this formal hour now, the end of this service. And of course, if you would like to stay on and connect with a small group, just stay right through the postlude and we'll create some breakout rooms where you can visit with other UUs. And whether you're staying in a breakout room or talking with family or friends and the rest of your day, you might like to have a discussion question to get the conversation going. So in his sermon, Bob mentioned Octavia Butler and her uncanny way of predicting so many things um, that were going to happen 30 or 40 years in the future. Once in an interview, she was asked how she did this and she replied that she just looked around at what was currently happening and asked herself if that continues, what will it look like? And then she painted these pictures of the future. And so I invite you to do that as well uh, in your conversations today, not just with things that may be distressing, but also with the good. And this gets at Bob's question, what are we already doing that will help us? What do you see happening that is good or is seeds of good that if it continues on, will play out in beneficial
0: ways in the future. Let's extinguish our chalices here and at home. As we extinguish our chalices, may we give thanks for what we have been given. May we give a gift in reciprocity for what we have taken. And may we sustain the ones who sustain us. Go in peace, gentle people, and practice radical love. (laughs) Thank <laughs>